Hello everyone and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host today, Philippe Durand, partner at Auguste de Buzy in Paris. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers who practice on the ground in these jurisdictions and are working daily to help their local clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe and have received updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we are going to be chatting with one of our members in England and Wales. We will be joined by Michael Leftley. Michael is a partner and head of the Employment, Incentives and Immigration Group at Adelshaw Goddard. But before Michael joins us, we have a special announcement to make today. Moving forward, we will now have a new moderator who will be helping with postcards in the Europe region. Many of our listeners may remember Kato Hartz, counsel at Lydian in Belgium, and our listeners may also remember her excellent podcast on remote working and temporary unemployment. Kato, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Hi, Philip. Thank you for this introduction. I'm so excited to be here. Today, Michael will be chatting about the future of work in the UK and Europe in general. Welcome to the program, Michael. How are you doing today? I'm good. Very good, Kato. Thank you. Oh, great. So let's get started then. Michael, can you tell me a little bit about what employers in the UK and Europe are contemplating with remote working now that pandemic restrictions are starting to ease in many jurisdictions? Sure, of course, yes. And I think we've seen a number of different models starting to emerge as employers start to think about what the future looks like in the short and medium term as we come out of the pandemic. Some organisations are committing firmly to a new model, but it's fair to say that most are taking quite a cautious approach to start off with, and uh, they're consulting with staff as well to understand what they would like. The approaches that I've seen fall into four, broadly four main categories. The first I'd describe as the office crowd. There's a couple of organisations that have come out quite firmly and said that they're expecting employees to be back in the office. So they're effectively winding the clock back to March 2020 and they're wanting life to continue as was. Uh, those most publicly who've talked about that, uh, the investment banks, so Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. The chief executive of Morgan Stanley said quite recently that he felt if people could make it to a restaurant in New York, then they ought to be able to make it into the office as well. So that's the office crowd, but I'd say there's not many of them. There's then the home crowd. So there's a few organisations who've come out publicly and said, we're quite happy for people to work from home or work remotely for the foreseeable future. So, for example, in the UK, Deloitte uh, last week, the professional services business came out and said, we're happy for all our 20,000 employees in the UK to work from home for the foreseeable future. Again, I'd say that's probably a minority of employers. And then thirdly, and we come to what I'd describe as the most likely approach that most employers are looking at at the moment, which is the hybrid model. And I think this is the case across most jurisdictions across Europe. So some kind of combination of remote working and then being back in the office some of the time as well. So employers are trying to get to grips with what that means and how they approach it. Is it a couple of days in the office each week? Is it more than that? Are employers going to require employees to be at home 
some of the time, or is that going to be optional? So if employees want to work five days a week, can they do that? So that's the hybrid model. And that comes with a fair few issues, I think, because at the moment, in most jurisdictions, homeworking is either mandated by governments or it's certainly encouraged. But, but once that changes and it becomes optional for employers, employers are going to have to get to grips with what homeworking longer term means. They're going to need to ensure that they've got the right kind of policies and procedures in place to support homeworking. They're going to have to decide about whether or not they're going to pay for the equipment that employees need to work from home long term. So there's all these kind of issues that employers are going to have to get to grips with. And then the final category, which is really just a, a subset, I think, of homeworking or hybrid working is what I call the away crowd. So there's some businesses that are looking at facilitating employees working from different jurisdictions. So your employer may be based in the UK, but potentially you can sit in France or Belgium or potentially somewhere with an even better climate and, and work remotely. So that's something that some employers are facilitating. So these broadly are the, the categories that we've seen. That's very interesting. I think it's quite similar in Belgium, where we also have those groups of companies and employees as well, with each of them having their preference. So I guess one of the main complaints from employees about homeworking during the pandemic has been the inability to switch off, right? Uh, I know in some jurisdictions that has led to calls for employees to have a right to disconnect. What does that mean exactly? So th this is quite interesting, I think. So we have what some have described now as the always on culture. So it's very difficult to, to switch off. We all have devices that connect us to the office 24-7. And this isn't something new this isn't something that's pandemic related it existed before the pandemic but for sure it's been exacerbated by the pandemic with the huge increase in remote working and I think as well that without the commute to sort of bookend the day many employees find it very difficult to switch off from work the workday just extends and extends and employees therefore are working longer and longer hours so the right to disconnect is about the right to effectively switch off digitally from work. So to not be obliged to respond to emails or to be available outside of agreed working hours. And to give you an extreme example, if we look at Germany, Volkswagen as an example. So as I understand it, Volkswagen have configured their email servers so that non-management employees can't access their emails between the hours of 6.15 p.m. in the evening and 7 a.m. in the morning. So that's an extreme example of an employer effectively in that circumstance enforcing the right to digitally disconnect. Well, I guess the right to disconnect, to me, it rings a bell with France, and I know it originates there. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So France led the way. So France was very much a pioneer with this right. And, and, and France, historically, as a jurisdiction, as a country, has always had quite a focus on protecting holidays and leisure time. And so I guess it's no surprise that they led the way in Europe. And they had legislation which was passed in August 2016. So it's something called the, or the so-called El Comrie Law, which was named after the Labour minister at the time. And I won't go into the detail, but essentially it requires employers of over 50 employees to try to negotiate a company collective agreement on the right to disconnect. And if that doesn't work, then the company must introduce a company policy on the right. So, yes, it happened in France first, but I think now it's starting to spread. 
Yeah, you're right. We've heard about that in Belgium as well, also before the pandemic, where we now have the right to put it on the agenda of the Health and Safety Committee. So there's no right as such, but we can discuss it. I'm very curious about the rest of, of the world and Europe, not forgetting the UK, of course. Oh, yes, we mustn't forget the UK. So, like I said, I mean, the, the issue is definitely gaining momentum. So the most recent country to introduce a right or quasi-right was Ireland, who introduced a new code of practice in April of this year. And that code covers three aspects. So there's a right not to routinely perform work outside of normal working hours. There's a right not to be penalised for refusing to attend to work matters outside of normal working hours. And then finally, there's a duty to respect another person's right to disconnect. And it's a code only, so it sounds like it may be similar to what you've just talked about as being in place in Belgium. And it isn't an offence to, to breach the code, but what workers can do if they're working for an employer who has not complied with that code of practice, then it's something that can be referred to in proceedings before the Irish Labour Court. So potentially something where the court may draw adverse inferences as a consequence of the employer's failure to comply with the code. And it's been implemented across a number of other jurisdictions across Europe as well. So we've talked about Belgium, we've talked about France, but there's also some kind of right in place in Italy, in Spain and in Slovakia as well. And it's also worth mentioning that there's a number of company level initiatives across various jurisdictions, regardless of whether legislation is in place. So in Germany, for example, it's a well-established concept, even though there's no legislation and hence the Volkswagen approach that I mentioned earlier. And we, we mustn't forget the UK. We're still semi-connected to Europe, notwithstanding Brexit. Now, we don't have anything in terms of a right to disconnect as yet in the UK. However, there is pressure on the government to introduce something, and that pressure seems to be mounting at the moment, and that's coming from a number of sources or avenues, so from the trade unions in the UK, also from the Labour Party, our main opposition party, who started talking about it very recently. And then there's also various other commentators who are speaking quite vocally about having something in place. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see something announced in the coming months. But the most important development across Europe here at the moment is at EU level. So in January of this year, the European Parliament approved a resolution asking the Commission to introduce a directive to establish minimum requirements for remote work and the right to disconnect. And probably worth me just running you through the main provisions. So there's just sort of five or six of, of those. So if I just run through those. So this is what we think we're going to see as being the main aspects of the directive once that comes out of the Commission so firstly, there'll be a requirement to establish a detailed written statement which sets out the arrangements of switching off digital tools for work purposes. Secondly, there'll be a requirement to set out a system for measuring working time, and we'll need to see how that differs from obligations under the Working Time Directive. There's a requirement to encourage training and awareness of the right to disconnect in the workplace, and derogation from the right to disconnect is only going to be permitted in exceptional circumstances and importantly also on the basis that a payment is made for any work performed outside of working time and then finally there'll be an obligation to ensure that workers don't suffer any adverse treatment or dismissal 
due to exercising their right to disconnect. So that, it seems to me, is a pretty prescriptive approach compared with what we have at the moment in the various jurisdictions. I think it's one that the UK would find quite difficult if it decided to mirror the EU approach, because whilst many roles do have set hours, particularly if you're looking at the shop floor or the factory floor, but when you look at managerial or professional roles, most of those include an obligation to work such hours as might be necessary to perform the role with no right to any extra pay or overtime. So this is starting to look a little bit difficult, I think. I also think there's a balance to be struck between respecting the desire to switch off from work, which we all understand, but also we can't be penalising those who may want to work flexibly, so work outside of core working hours, or or may want to make themselves more available because of career ambition. So it's a a complex issue. I think that directive, as flesh is put on the bones, is something that's going to need to be scrutinised because it, it looks like it could have quite a significant impact across Europe. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very interesting to mention that because of the fact that it's such a personal preference, it's very difficult to put it into legislation. Well, it seems like there is a vibe in Europe going around, so it makes me wonder about the rest of the world. Do you think that countries outside of Europe are considering something along those lines as well? Absolutely. So this isn't a European phenomenon, and really the drive behind it, a, a technical, technological developments. So technological developments that allow us to be connected to work 24-7. There's increased globalization. So often we're having to work with people in different time zones, which makes core hours more difficult. And then also in some cases, I think there's been changed expectations from employers around availability linked to those technological changes. And as I said at the start, all this has been exacerbated by the pandemic and the increase in home working or or remote working. To give you a flavour of what's going on elsewhere, I understand that that the rights been implemented in in some shape or form in the Philippines and also in Argentina as well. And Canada at the moment is currently considering a similar policy to Ireland. That's some interesting research. Thank you for that. And I guess that's exactly what, what will happen. I mean, what will happen after the pandemic and how will things evolve? So maybe that's my last question to you, Michael, if I may. What is next on this issue in your view? So from all I've said, it's clear that it's being debated across a large number of jurisdictions across Europe and then beyond. And and rightly so, in my view, I, I think it's a significant issue which we need to get to grips with as lawyers, as employers. Like I said, I fear that the proposed EU directive will be too prescriptive and too restrictive on employers. And I don't think the right to disconnect is a it's not a black and white issue so many employees have enjoyed the flexibility that remote working has offered not everyone wants to work a standard nine to five pattern or whatever the core hours may be so so personally I'm more attracted to the French or the Irish approaches which seem to have a a degree or level of flexibility in how employers choose to implement the right in their own workplaces. But but having said that, I am pleased that this is now on the corporate agenda because it it needs to be. And I think we all need to be mindful of how we interact with colleagues and the demands that we put upon them. So watch this space. (laughs) For sure. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion, Michael. Thank you so much for your time.
If you'd like to connect with Michael, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. Also search the ELA website at ela.law, where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Kato Aerts. Thanks for listening.